0: Joanna here. I know you might not be familiar with me. I'm only mentioned a few times in all of scripture. The first mention in Luke earlier in this storyline is that Mary Magdalene and Susanna and I began following Jesus and we were supporting him and the disciples out of our own resources. Out of our own pockets, of our own households. We are also the same ones who go out to the tomb after the Sabbath to prepare Jesus' body and find it empty. But that's a story for another day. Today is a different story with a somewhat difficult parable, which it might be helpful to break it down for you a bit. It, since I understand there's probably just a few language and cultural differences from my time to yours. Right at the start, Jesus begins the parable with, there was a rich man. And this, this right here is a setup. Back in our day, there were so many rabbinic stories that began this way. And, well, it always, always, always indicated that the poor man, or that rich man, was a poor role model. Goes on to say that he was dressed in purple and fine linen, and purple was the most expensive fabric one could own. Be like someone wearing something like Gucci today. And the fine linen, the wording here is somewhat like the wording for undergarments. So let's say he was dressed to the nines in Gucci with Louis Vuitton underwear and he feasted sumptuously every day, like on caviar, white truffles, and Wagyu beef. There was a poor man that was laid before his gate. This would have been a sign that others thought the rich man was the only one who could help him. And this poor man was covered in sores. This poor man was also given a name, and this is the only parable that Jesus teaches where anyone is ever given a name. Even more important to note is what the name Lazarus means. It literally means God's help. This poor man, Lazarus, was covered with sores and sat outside the rich man's gate longing to satisfy his hunger, essentially hoping to eat from the trash can, only the Rich man refused to put it out, so he couldn't even dig in it. But the dogs, whether they were wild dogs, somebody's pet dog, they could have even been the rich man's guard dogs. Who knows? They were the only ones that had compassion for Lazarus, for they lick his sores, and this would have provided some healing and some relief back in our day. There are many different uh, beliefs about the healing powers of the dog's saliva. Many would have understood this. Lazarus dies, maybe starvation, maybe from this disease that he had, a combination of both, or something altogether different. He's carried away to be with Abraham. It's a rather interesting picture, as Only other tradition of someone being taken up is Elijah, the prophet, into the chariot. And then we're told, well, the rich man also dies. Again, we don't know how or why, but he's buried a much more traditional way. We find out he is in Hades. And again, we should probably pause for a moment. Hades, in my day and culture, was mostly understood as a place one waited a final judgment. It should also be noted there are still arguments in my day about even, if the afterlife even existed at all. The Sadducees, for one, argued that it didn't. So it's hard to say, really, if they're talking a literal heaven and hell here. And if we are, well, they both got there without Jesus, without any confession of faith, repentance, or belief comment of belief by either of them because we don't there's none made. Jesus is the one telling the story and doesn't say a word about it. So let's not read too much into this but just know that they're somewhat in a sense of afterlife maybe even in the same place separated by a chasm since the rich man can see Lazarus and Abraham. The rich man asks him, asks Abraham, Send Lazarus to dip his finger in the water and cool my tongue. I am in agony. And Abraham tells him no, reminding him of all the good things he had in his lifetime, as Lazarus suffered in pain and anguish and agony. And now the roles have been reversed, and there's a great chasm that separates them, which no one can cross. So the rich man tries again, right? All right, if I can't find relief, Father Abraham, send Lazarus to my father's house. For I have five brothers, he might warn them that they might not end up in torment like me. Abraham replies to him, they have Moses and the prophets. They've had all they have ever needed. The words of scripture to help them, they should listen to those words. The rich man replied, no, no, if they, someone, goes from them to, from, someone goes to them from the dead, they'll repent. Abraham tells him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, much like you didn't, neither will they be convinced if someone rises from the dead. There's a lot there to unpack in just that little conversation. First off, we see the rich man knew Lazarus's name. It wasn't just some stranger at his gate that he ignored day in and day out, but someone he knew. And either way, it doesn't make it okay, but certainly knowing the person personally adds to the horrific disgrace towards his brother. For that's what Lazarus was. If the rich man is going to call Abraham father, Lazarus should have been considered his brother. Yet he is more concerned about his five brothers still living and seeing Lazarus still as someone beneath him, someone to be used, a servant to do his work, first asking if Lazarus can relieve him with water, then asking Lazarus to be sent to his brothers, in a sense still viewing him as less than even in the afterlife. This encounter that the rich man has with Abraham just reinforces what has always been true, what he has always missed. The exact point Abraham points out to him. If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. If the brothers, like the rich man, are so hard-hearted so disregarding of life of another, so ingrained in their own wealth, their own ability to save themselves, their own security, they don't, that they don't acknowledge the need of God, even someone rising from the dead won't change that. And I say that because even in death, it didn't change it for the rich man who not once recognizes his sinful behavior against his brother Lazarus, not once seeks forgiveness, but rather instead continues to demand Lazarus be his errand boy. He is completely unrepentant and unchanged. A bit of what John the Baptist proclaimed in the wilderness rings true here. Do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now, the ax is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. This rich man refuses to recognize not just the words of Moses and the prophets, all of scripture to be his guide, but refuses to acknowledge God. He completely refuses to acknowledge how he needs God's help, even with the name Lazarus right there glaring him in the face day in and day out. He believes he is secure, protected, comfortable in his own wealth, Abraham as his ancestor, his father, his own care, his own sense of security. He doesn't need God or doesn't need to acknowledge his need for God. He doesn't acknowledge that God is the one who blessed him in all these ways. And well, what are we supposed to do with these blessings from God anyway? It's right there in the very beginning of the scriptures. When God calls Father Abraham, he is told that he is blessed to be a blessing to all nations. Yet this rich man, even calling out to Father Abraham, misses this point here as well as throughout his whole life. He needs God's help. He's called to be a help for God. He is to share his blessings. He refused to cross the chasm in life to provide relief for this poor man in such dire need of help and healing. He had the resources to easily do it. It wouldn't have changed his fortune too much. It probably wouldn't have even made him have to to change that much about how he lived. But he couldn't be bothered. So instead, every day, he feasted on the most expensive and extravagant meals, wearing the most impressive clothes, while this man he could have easily provided relief, lay dying at his gate. And in the afterlife, he still shows no concern for how he treated his brother Lazarus. Only concern for the brothers in his father's house who may share the same fate. And Abraham tells him they have everything they need. And friends, it is true for us, too. We have everything we need. The prophets, the scriptures, angels and messengers, the life, death and resurrection of Jesus, the sending of the Holy Spirit. Will we acknowledge the need of God's help in our own lives? Will we offer God's help when we see someone in need? Will we recognize our blessings and share them with others, with the nations? The point of this parable is not to relate as either being the rich man or the poor man, but to realize, friends, we are the brothers. We are the ones still alive. We are the ones with choice to make. Do we acknowledge the need of God's help in our own lives and offer it? Or do we think we can get by on our own, our own security, our own safety? For God offers up help along the way. We just have to be willing to acknowledge that we need it, as well as sometimes acknowledge we are the ones God is calling to help our neighbor, our community, our world. We can't proclaim father Abraham as our father, Jesus as our brother, if we ignore the siblings at our gates. They might not be right outside our house physically, but friends, we have. There are still in this world today, siblings at lying at gates looking for help. How will we respond? Will we see them? Will we feed them more than the trash? Will we have more compassion than the dogs who lick their wounds and provide relief? We can't fully acknowledge and accept God's help if we don't offer it to others too. Friends, truly nothing is impossible with God. This is mentioned in a later teaching by jesus jesus says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of god those of us who were there then asked him jesus who then can get into the kingdom of god jesus responded for what is impossible for mortals is possible for god Nothing is impossible for our Lord. Do you have faith enough to believe? Faith enough to live out this belief? Faith enough to share your blessings? Faith enough to trust God is with with us throughout this journey, and that God can make a way when there is no way? Friends, may we not just Only just believe, but truly live out that indeed nothing is impossible with God. Knowing this, let us not be afraid to share our blessings, to acknowledge the need for God's help, and to help where we can in our world. For the truth is, God is already at work, out there making a way. Do we want to ignore the help at our gate? Or do we want to welcome it in? Let us desire God's help and share the help of God in our church, in our community, and throughout the world, for we are blessed to be a blessing. Amen.